friends and guests, thank you so much for joining me tonight for Encounter Night Online. We have been extremely blessed and um, God has been faithful and gracious to us that we have been able to join together for three months about to in our encounter services on Wednesday nights in person. And so tonight we just decided we're gonna take a little bit of a break and be able to reconnect with our online community all in one place so that we're not all scattered. We wanted to unify us tonight. And so tonight we are going to be fully online. But next week, don't forget, we will be reconvening our encounter services in person at 640. So if you haven't been coming or, or you've missed a couple weeks or you want to jump in right now, it is the perfect opportunity for you to join us next week at 640 in person at Livonia Church of God for Encounter Night. And for those of us, that, for those of you that do not follow us or have not connected us with us on social media or even those students that have missed those opportunities, make sure that you follow us on Instagram at LCOG Encounter. As well, we are on Facebook and YouTube at Le, uh, Encounter Student Ministries. So make sure that you, you follow us to be able to connect with weekly sermons and be able to sig figure out what our announcements are and just some fun giveaways and things that we do on our social media platform. We are so excited for you to be able to connect with you on that. Um, also, if you're someone that's on the go and you love to listen to, to sermons or uh, you've missed a message and you want to be able to catch up on the go, we have a podcast on Spotify and Apple Podcasts. Just look up Encounter Student Ministries and you'll be able to catch up every week with our messages, including this one tonight and last week's if you have missed it. So we are so excited about that and we are so excited about making tonight a special night because we are fully online, which means we have a live chat probably right here on YouTube. And so we are all gathering in one place on YouTube. We will rebroadcast this, this message on Facebook and Instagram later, but we wanted to join all together in this one platform. So make sure you are dialoguing with one another because tonight we are going to be asking questions uh, related to the sermon, related to Encounter Student Ministries, maybe some, some other questions, some trivia questions, because we are wanting to give out some Chick-fil-A gift cards. So if you pay attention to the chat and you are in connected and you're answering questions correctly and you're the first one and, you're, and um, you become a recipient of, of God's chicken. So what's better than some free God's chicken? Also, one last quick announcement. If you are interested and would love to give to Encounter Student Ministries, please um, visit securegive.com forward slash Livonia COG to be able to give and to sow into this ministry. Um, but tonight, I'm so excited to be able to give to you and, and to present to you um, the Word of God tonight. And, and we believe in Encounter Student Ministries that, that the Word of God is living and active, that it is, it is relevant beyond cultural and society boundaries. It transcends time, it transcends space, that it has the ability to convict our soul, that is relevant for both the believer and the unbeliever. And so we are so excited and we have the amazing opportunity tonight to partake in the Word of God. So if you will, open up your Bibles to John chapter 4. You'll have a couple minutes to get there. Um, we are going to be reading a lot of text tonight, which is good because if you've not gotten your Bible reading in this week or, or maybe in the past couple weeks or ever, guess what? You're going to get your, your fair share. So we're going to begin in John chapter 4, starting at verse 1. But before we get there, if you're joining us for the first time, we are in week 2 in our series entitled Jesus. We are taking a brief four-week journey to just scratch the surface of who Jesus is. We are not talking about Jesus solely as a historical figure, and we're not um, talking about Jesus solely as a man that is within the, the, the Bible or just the biblical text, but we are looking at Jesus as a person. 
as a person in the, the triune Godhead, as God himself, fully man, fully God. And so we are looking at him because we want to know who he is. We want to know what he values. We want to know what he believes. We want to know what his actions are, what he does, what he likes, what he doesn't like. We want to know what makes him tick because we want to be people that know Jesus in a way that we can exemplify what Paul says in Ephesians chapter 5, 1, to be imitators of Christ. Paul's call to the church is that we may imitate Christ. And so in order for us to imitate Christ, we first need to know Christ. And so we are just going to spend four weeks, three more after, two more after tonight, in order to realize and recognize and just scratch the surface of who this person Jesus is. So I invite you, both the believer and the unbeliever, come, listen to who Jesus is, because I know that he's going to impact your life just as much as he impacted my life. And I'm so inspired by Paul's words in Ephesians 5, 1, to be imitators of Christ because I, one of my favorite uh, movies and theatrical productions are, are usually based around documentaries or, or historical figures or, or historical situations. And it, it reminds me, one of my favorite Broadway shows is, is entitled Come From Away. And for those of you that are not familiar with Come From Away, it is a not a 9-11 story. They like to call it a 9-12 story because what it follows is, is a small town in Gander, Newfoundland of where uh, 38 planes were put down from the sky and they had to park and they had to land as the American air traffic had landed all flights in wake of the 9-11-2001 terrorist attacks in New York City, in Washington, D.C., and in um, rural Pennsylvania. And it begins, uh, Come From Away is a journey of the generosity and the, the love and compassion for one another in the midst of terroristic action, in the midst of hate. And what I love is it is a true story that is being presented and foretold right before your eyes. And one of the main characters or the principal characters that is presented in Come From Away is based off a true life pilot, the first American Airlines female pilot, Captain Beverly Bass. And Captain Beverly Bass is portrayed by, by actress Jen Colella um, in the production. And I'm, I'm so inspired by Jen Colella. I've seen her perform this um, role twice, and I've been mesmerized both times because she has embodied Captain Beverly Bass. And Captain Beverly Bass has, has uh, watched the show, I believe, almost uh, 200 times. And it is a very daunting experience to have to portray someone as they're sitting right there. And it takes a lot of effort and a lot of skill as an actor and an actress to be able to portray someone in a historical setting because it is not just a figment of your imagination. It is not someone that you just cultivate and create in of yourself. It is someone that is real life with, with um with real life lifestyles and real life lingo and real life um, walking and talking and opinions and mannerisms. And as an actress and an actor, it is your responsibility to be able to imitate that, to bring on the perfect portrayal of that person that you are portraying. And I'm so inspired by Jenny Colella's skill, and I've, I've listened to multiple podcasts and interviews that she's had, and, and she said that she would um, go out to dinner with Captain Beverly Bass, and she would listen to her story, and what she would do is she would take like these little mental notes. One of um, Jen's signature songs in the show is called Me in the Sky, and it, and it starts out with her just sitting at a table, and 
Jen talks about how she had watched um, Captain Beverly Bass uh, sit at a table in their dialogue and she would work to, to fix her mannerisms, whether it be a relaxed, but it's also very formal as, as Captain. And she would listen to um, Captain Bass tell her story and she would look uh, and listen for little nuances and moments of inflection and excitement at certain parts of the story so that when she is singing it and portraying her story, she is able to highlight exactly what Captain Bass is proud of and, and takes pride in in her story and in her testimony of, of the, the success within her life. And you can even tell it in Jen's portrayal because as, as Jen is going in and out of different characters, she stands a little different when it comes to Captain Bass. She, she holds herself a little bit higher. She, she puts her shoulder back a little bit farther. She has a, 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 a little bit of a twang. She uses specific lingo that's related to her. And it's such an inspiring um, experience and an entertainment to be able to to watch because you are seeing someone being portrayed by another person. And every time I see and I think about it, I hear Paul's call for us to be imitators of Christ. And so we should be challenged by, by that nuance and actors and actresses, and we should look at it in our own perspective. Are we being imitators and actors and, and portraying Christ the way that he desires to be portrayed? And, and one of the foundations of, of Jesus that we need to start with and begin with is that Jesus is a people person. Jesus was, is not just a people person back then, but he continually is. As he rules and he reigns and he continues on, Jesus is still a people person. And so that should begin to, to reveal within our hearts and should begin to challenge us and, and make us go, are we people person? Because Jesus loved people from all backgrounds. He loves people from all beliefs in their good, their bad, their good theology and their bad theology. He loves people in regardless of their race and their ethnicity. He, he loves people regardless of, of where they are and where they've come from. And as we look at Jesus, oftentimes the lesson we learn from him is how we can relate to both him and how we can relate to other people. So tonight, as we go through the text, everything that we learn about Jesus and everything that we hear about Jesus is related to how we can connect with God, but then how we can also connect with people. So if Jesus is very practical. Jesus is very simple. simple. His actions begin to reveal a larger picture of how we can act. We don't have to guess. We don't have to wonder how we should live in act Jesus shows us and Jesus tells us and Jesus demonstrates for us. So tonight we are talking about Jesus being an extraordinary example of being a person of compassion. Jesus was an extremely compassionate person. So before we really start to dig into the text tonight, let's just take a minute and pause and let's connect with the person of Jesus. So God, we just come to you today. Jesus, we thank you for your love. We thank you for your example. We thank you that you are here we thank you that you are present. Thank you that you are active, that you are engaged in our life, Lord. Thank you that you lived a perfect example, that we may be able to be imitators of you, that you've made it easy to imitate you. You've made it acceptable to imitate you. You've made it a, a feat for us and a challenge for us, God. But you also gave your Holy Spirit to us that we may be able to learn and imitate you, walking in conviction, walking in truth, walking in the Spirit of God. And Holy Spirit, I just come and I pray that you would open up our hearts and our minds to the truth of Jesus that you would lead us and guide us by your word, that we would be able to open up our hearts even more 
that we would be able to open up our hearts and our minds even more to not just talk about faith in Jesus, not just talk about the lifestyle of Jesus, but to be able to live it. And so, Holy Spirit, we just come to you. We welcome you into this room. We welcome you into this, this place. We welcome you into our midst that you would come and reveal Jesus to us even more so that we may be able to show your glory to other people. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. So tonight we are going to be beginning in our, in our text of, of John chapter 4. So I hope you're already there. We are going to be going from verse 1 to 10, and then we're going to jump around some other places. So listen attentively. I hope you have your Bible and, and get ready to flip pages, get ready to open pages. And um, we are going to learn about Jesus and hear about Jesus and his compassion. So John chapter 4, starting in verse 1. It says, Now Jesus learned that the Pharisees had heard that he was gaining and baptizing more disciples than John. Although, in fact, it was not Jesus who baptized, but it was his disciples. So he left Judea and was back once more to Galilee. Now he had to go through Samaria. So he came to a town in Samaria called Sychar, near the plot of the ground of Jacob had given to his son Joseph. Jacob's well was there, and Jesus, tired as he was from the journey, sat down by the well. It was about noon. Verse 7 tells us, When a Samaritan woman came to draw water, Jesus said to her, Will you give me a drink? His disciples had gone into the town to buy food. The Samaritan woman said to him, You are a Jew, and I am a Samaritan woman. How can you ask me for a drink? For Jews did not associate with Samaritans. Jesus answered her, if you knew the gift of God and who it was that asked you for a drink, you would have asked him and he would have given you a living water. Dropping down to verse 13, it says, Jesus answered, everyone who drinks this water will be thirsty again. But whoever drinks the water I give them will never thirst. Indeed, the water I give them will become in them a spring of water welling up to eternal life. Verse 15 says, the woman said to her, sir, give me this water so that I won't get thirsty and have to keep coming here to draw water. Verse 16 says, he told her, go and call your husband and come back. I have no husband, she replied. And then Jesus said to her, you are right when you say you have no husband. The fact is, you have had five husbands and the man you are with now is not your husband. What you have just said is quite true. Dropping down to verse, 24, uh, verse 25, the woman said, I know the Messiah called Christ is coming. When he comes, he will explain everything to us. Verse 26 says, then Jesus declared, I am the one you are speaking of. I am he. So where we find our text tonight is, is right after the, the proclamation of John the Baptist of the testifying of Jesus' true identity as the Son of God and the promised Messiah. Jesus' ministry at this point is, is gaining traction. We are only four chapters into John's narrative and John's account of Jesus, but Jesus' ministry is beginning to gain some traction and it is beginning to be noticed. The text begins with identifying that the Pharisees have taken note that Jesus has been baptizing more people than John has. And although this is an untrue assertion, um, because the disciples of Jesus were the ones that were baptizing others. And we find ourselves at the beginning of our text as we, we go into verse 1. Jesus is in the midst of his journey to Galilee from Judea when he steps into an account of true compassion. 
Now, before we go in and, and reference the woman at the well, I just want to make you um, take you on a journey to think about the condition of Jesus. I think so often as we we read the text and as we read um, the Bible and we re even read different books, it's so easy for us to take ourselves out of it and to to look at it in a in a different connotation in a different context. We we don't necessarily personalize it. We don't necessarily see that Jesus had had will and emotion and thoughts and 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 processes. And so I want us to look first at the condition of Jesus because how Jesus is walking into this situation is so significant and is so important. You see, our first text of verse 1 says, Now Jesus learned that the Pharisees had heard that he was gaining and baptizing more disciples than John. And if you know anything about Jesus and the Pharisees' relationship, it's that the Pharisees were not Jesus' biggest fans. They were very cynical of his ministry and his actions. They would continually attempt to make loopholes into attempting to deconstruct Jesus' teachings and claim that what he believed and what he was preaching was heresy. It's ironic because heresy is, is basically an um, a offshoot of blasphemy, that, that Jesus was blasphemous, that he was saying these outlandish claims of, of being God, and, and they were persecuting and, and constantly trying to, to correct him and, and find loopholes and deconstruct his beliefs. But what's crazy is that Jesus is God and Jesus was God. Jesus was not blaspheming by calling himself God or, or living the life he was. He was God. How can God blaspheme God? And so Jesus in this moment is beginning his journey to, to, Judea, um, to Judea under the weight of criticism. Jesus has been criticized by the Pharisees because they're not just saying, oh, how great is it that Jesus is baptizing more people and, and he's got more disciples than John. No, they would say it in a very cynical and a very um, condescending tone. And they would be very suspicious and they would be very um, willing to have undertones and undercutting remarks about Jesus. So Jesus is beginning his, his journey to this woman under the extreme criticism. And I want you to imagine a time for yourself. When has been a time that you have been under extreme criticism? I know that there's been moments in my life where someone may have been very critical of my actions or of my words or my life or my character or my ministry or my integrity. And, and I remember the weight that it has is on my life. It's those, those words that keep pounding back into your heart, they keep pounding back into your mind and into your spirit. And um, just take a moment and find it. Maybe it was a friend that was, was momentarily critical of an outfit that you wore. Maybe it was a, a friend that was critical of something that you did. Maybe it was a teacher that was critical of, of your failing grade or the wrong answer that you had. Imagine the weight of criticism. Sometimes it's so hard for us just to, to shake it off, and it, it, it creates a tone over us. It creates an atmosphere over us. It, it begins to, to dampen our spirit. It begins to make us a little bit insecure and a little bit of emotional. And I want you to ask yourself, how does it affect you? And I'm not talking about a, a criticism that is crippling to your self-esteem, but I want you to recognize that criticism doesn't always feel great. You don't always walk away criticized, feeling vastly encouraged. And so Jesus was beginning to experience criticism within his ministry. And I could imagine, it, although he, he knew the truth of his identity, those words can kind of hurt. And then we continue on in that, that Jesus is going from Galilee to Judea, and Jesus decides to take the most direct route to the land of Samaria, which, mind you, is an extremely controversial decision. 
because Jewish people did not associate with Samaritans. It was better for Jewish people to take the long way around, uh, to take the, the road less traveled around to, uh, to Judea instead of going directly through it. It was, it was just appropriate for them to avoid Samaritans at all costs. But as Jesus enters into Samaria, he finds himself tired from the journey. You know those moments where you've been walking a lot or you've been shopping a lot or you've been just exerting a lot of energy and, and maybe you've had the criticisms of life that are going on throughout you and then you, you incorporate and, and add on physical exhaustion. This is what Jesus was experiencing. He's been criticized and now he is, he is physically tired. So at this moment, Jesus is tired. He's worn out. And if he, Jesus is anything like me, he wouldn't want to be bothered by anybody. I know for me that when I'm tired or criticized, the last thing I want to do is be around people. The last thing I want to do is, is interact with people. I'd rather just be by myself. You know, I'd rather just sit at the well all by myself than have to deal with, with other people. And, and when I am feeling criticized and when I feel the weight and the tiredness of my life, it is so easy for me to just look past people. It is easy for me to look beyond people rather than to see them. And, and so um, I'm thankful today that Jesus is a little bit more compassionate than I am, that Jesus did not fall into this idea of just wanting to receive compassion, but he knew even in a weak moment, even in his physical weakness and even in maybe in his mental and emotional weakness, that he had a responsibility to show um, compassion. So I want to challenge you tonight. I want you to challenge yourself in this moment that even in our mental, emotional, physical, and spiritual exhaustion, we may be tempted to lose our compassion for others and to see people in their circumstances and see people in their context rather than seeing them in God's divine position. You see, what Jesus already foreknew, but what we don't know just yet in our text is that Jesus is about to alter somebody's life. And Jesus is about to alter somebody's life in a moment where he is feeling tired, worn down, and criticized. And this should be for a challenge for us because us as a church, as the, the global church, and as the American church, and, and even as the local church, and, and you know, even as human beings in the midst of a global unrest, it is so easy for us to be weary of doing good. But I want to encourage you, do not become weary of doing good. Because Jesus um, provides us an example to be perfectly hyper-focused on those that we may not agree with or that culture that is pitted against us. You see, when we are tired, it's easy for us to cut corners and maybe not do all that we're supposed to do and maybe get a bad attitude and get a bad attitude for other people. But Jesus provides for us an, an example to be hyper-focused, not having division of mind and heart, but to be hyper-focused that we are, are people that are not looking at the differences that separate us and, and looking beyond the people that we may not agree with or the cultures that are, work, that are being worked to being pit against us. But we may be able to operate that our compassion may meet them in God's perfect position in the position for them to receive life. So I know you're probably tired. I'm tired. I'm emotionally tired. I feel physically, emotionally, mentally, spiritually tired. Our, our society is tired. Our culture is tired. We, we hear so many things all the time. But I want you to look at Jesus and recognize that even in his tiredness, he did not stop and, and make other people and wait for people to be compassionate to him. But even in his tiredness, even in his weakness, even in his criticism, 
even in the criticism that was being um, compounded upon him, he stopped and he allowed himself to be someone that acts out of compassion. He was not go, being weary of doing good, but he stopped himself. And he stopped and he looked and he tried to see and identify people that were positioned, that were positioned in God's providence, that were positioned in God's perfect plan, that they would be able to receive life. So thankfully, Jesus pressed past his tired humanity and connected with the work of his father. In Jesus' present condition, we are introduced to another character. This time, we are introduced to a woman. Someone, obviously, that is completely different than Jesus. This is a woman, not a man. Jesus is a Jew. This is a Samaritan woman. And this is a Samaritan woman that is drawing water from a well at noon. You see, it is in this understanding that we first understand that, number one, Jesus has compassion for those who have been outcasted by their own. You see, just in a, a small three-letter, in three-word sentence that, that this woman came at noontime, it speaks so entirely of the current situation that she was under. At noon becomes a, a perfect example of the context that we get to enter and meet this woman in. You see, if you know anything about, if you know anything about the, the context of the Samaritan women at this, this point, that they would go and that they would draw water from this well, but they weren't doing it at noontime. They were doing it early in the morning. And they would do it early in the morning so that they can avoid the heat of the day. Yet this woman had to wait, and she waited for the opportune time in the heat of the day. Why would this happen? You see, put yourself in her shoes. We'll later find out that this woman has a story, that this woman has a sinful story, something that may not have been agreed upon within her midst and may not have been agreed upon by the women that were there. And if it's anything like modern day, I, I love reading the Bible and seeing that people have not changed so much. Human nature has not changed. The sinfulness of, of humanity has not changed so much because I could imagine that this Samaritan woman, the woman without a name, had been the the butt of every joke. She has been the topic of every gossip. You see, because this woman would, would have a story that we'll later find out about. But this woman was so criticized, was so beaten down, that she was more than willing to go in the heat of the day because she knew she didn't want to see anyone that was connected with her community because she knew they all knew who she was. And every time they saw her, they had a comment. Every time they saw her, they had a side-eye glance. Every time they saw her, they had an opinion that was based upon her. Now, can you imagine in this moment the feeling of isolation? In your own community where you're supposed to be accepted and loved, in a community that is already ostracized, in a community that is already not liked by Assyrians and already not liked by Jewish people, we come into this moment where you are the outcast of the outcast. That's a weighty experience. That's a, a weighty responsibility. That you would rather avoid everybody at all costs, and you would do it, and, and the cost would be going out in the heat of the day just to avoid people. And yet, here's what's so beautiful about Jesus. Even in her current situation, and Jesus obviously already knew who she was, he knew that if she was at this well at noontime, obviously that wasn't culturally appropriate and that was not the norm and that was not the standard. He knew something was up. 
He used the, the context clues that were around him. You'd have to be a rocket scientist to know that something was going on with this woman. But yet, Jesus engages her. Jesus stops and engages her. He acknowledges her existence. And this is an act of compassion in and of itself. Jesus' glance, Jesus' look, Jesus' word, just to acknowledge that she was there was an act of compassion all of itself. Nobody, nobody else, not even those that were supposed to be the closest people around her that understood her the most, not even those people would interact with her, but guess who did? Jesus did. And a lot of the time as outsiders, we don't always get to see the internal dwellings of a culture. You know, they're, they're, I, I fit my own demographic. As, as a male, I will never understand what it's like to be a female. As a, a white male, I will never understand what it's like to be a, a Hispanic female. There's a certain demographic. There's a certain situation. There's a, a certain mold that I fit that when I don't fit within that mold, I'll never be able to understand the full understandings and the full graspings of the indwelling within inside of that. And the same thing is true for you. There are, there are people that will never be able to understand my internal dwelling and my internal circles. And, and so often as outsiders, we don't get to see the hurt and the pains of others that, they, that have experienced within that context. Those, um, those we see grouped and classified in society does not always mean that there's not an element of isolation and outcasting. Outside of it, you would have thought that you would have saw this woman as, as a Samaritan. If she was out at any other point of the day, you would have never guessed that this woman was an outcast within her own society. But you take it in an individualistic basis. You take it in a, a situation like this, and you recognize that within this society, this woman was hurt. This woman was left out. This woman was isolated. And you see, we can't assume that everybody in, the, in a specific group and in a clique actually is being cared for. So often I've been guilty of it going like, oh, I see that person, uh, I see that person sitting by themselves. I see that person um, in what seems to be isolated. And I go, well, they fit this group, so that group's going to take care of them. Or maybe I go like, oh, I, I don't fully understand who that person is or, or their lifestyle or their culture, and maybe I don't fit in with them. And so I leave them to the side waiting for somebody else to take care of them. But what Jesus shows us is that he has compassion for those that have been outcasted by their own. Jesus doesn't say, take care of those that take care of, the, like, don't take care of those that are being taken care of, those that fit your, your personality or fit your demographic or fit, fit your, your race or your ethnicity or, or your gender or your sexuality. He demonstrates for us that we are to be focused not just on our own, not focused on our own group, not focused on our own problems, but be focused on everybody that is around us. So often we lose sight that our neighbor is not just the one that sits beside us sits beside us, or the one that has the address right next to us, but our neighbor is all of those that are in, in dwelling of, of all of creation and in the dwelling of earth, that we are all one another's neighbor, one another neighbors. And so we have a responsibility. Jesus is showing us right now that we have a responsibility to reach out to those that we feel like we may not understand. That we are to reach out to those and connect with those when we feel like we don't have anything in common. Jesus has compassion on those who have been outcasted by their own. 
This Samaritan woman, she's an outcast among the outcasts. She lives in isolation. No one is there engaging her. No one is there loving her and, and caring for her. And this woman is living a very lonely life, doing everything she can to avoid. But Jesus, just a simple act of looking at her and talking with her and calling her by name was an act of compassion. This, this leads us to, to my second point, and, and the second example is that Jesus has compassion for those who have been deemed an enemy by society. You see, here's what I, um, I've been reading in Nehemiah, and, and I, I love the story of Nehemiah because in Nehemiah ver, uh, chapter 4 to 6, there's talks about the attempt to rebuild the wall of Jerusalem. But it was faced with opposition by, by mockery, by bold-faced lies, and attempts on physical and, and unitarian attacks. You see, Nehemiah was bombarded with fake news that would divide Jerusalem. And it would be used to instill fear that, that, that they, if they could instill fear that they would be able to hinder the rebuilding of Jerusalem ruins. These two men, um, Tobiah and Sambalat, um, even hired a man to falsely prophesy an uprising and with an attempt to end Nehemiah's effort to rebuild the walls of Jerusalem. Now, I, I don't know about you, and I don't know what your purpose is and what you think your purpose is, but I, as believers, we have a purpose of rebuilding ruins. We have a purpose of rebuilding things that have been broken and rebuild things that have been, been torn down and, and to rebuild things that have been, been and to tear down the, the strongholds of the enemy and rebuild the standard of God, rebuild the kingdom of God. And that is our responsibility. And so often we have been used and there's been things that have been, been devised and plans and attacks both spiritually and physically and, and globally that would uh, try to discourage us and mock us from, from trying to join with one another to rebuild the standard of God, the statutes of God, the king of God. Nehemiah was here and he was working to rebuild the walls of Jerusalem. And yet he felt opposition. These people went so far, Tobias and, and Samblet went so far to hire a man to falsely prophesy over Nehemiah, to tell him and to show him that those walls and those ruins would never be rebuilt. And let's make a little bit practical right now. There are people being paid to lie to us and only present a portion of the text and only a portion of the truth to us. But Jesus is showing us that we are to have compassion on those that have been deemed an enemy of our culture, our society, our ethnicity, our, our belief system, our gender. We are being told, and what Jesus shows us, we could have compassion on them. In the midst of lies and in the midst of people being paid. And I'm not saying all of media is bad. I'm not saying all of media is corrupt. But there are people that are working, just as Tobin and uh, Tobiah and, and Samuel at work, to be able to discourage us and tell us that unity may never come. Unity can't come. There's too much division. There's too many things that divide us in order to unite us. There's too many things that separate us that we can never be able to fully gain back together. And we would never fully be able to, to unite with one another, to rebuild the standard of God, rebuild the, the temple of God, to, to build the kingdom of God. There are people that are, that are here and that are coming to try to divide us. But Jesus says, don't let what separates you or what culture has told you or who culture has tried to pit against you to divide you. He says, look forward and, and continue on in. Engage culture. Have compassion on those people. 
Because you see, disunity is a tactic of the enemy to distract us from fulfilling the great, commanded, the, great com uh, the great commandment to love God and to love people. Disunity is a tactic of the enemy to distract us from fulfilling the great commandment to love God and to love people. What is happening in Samaria, and for those of us that, that may not be fully aware of what a Samarian is, a Samarian is a descendant of an Assyrian and a descendant of Jews. They would be referred to as half-breeds. They don't fit with Jews, but they also don't fit with Assyrians. And so you have to begin to understand that, that in Jewish culture, they were not talked about very highly. Samarians, Samaritans were not talked about very highly. And so there becomes a narrative. It come, becomes a narrative that those are not the people of God, that those do not begin to, to walk under the faithfulness and the promises and the, the godship of our God and the, the favor of our God. Those are people that are half-breeds. They don't begin to, to, be able to, uh, to be able to walk with us because they are not us. There began to be a disunity of superiority. The Jews begin to look at themselves as superior than a Samaritan, that they would rather walk all the way around the block than be able to talk to someone that they believed was inferior than them. But you see, the Jewish people were acting out of a, out of a tactic of the enemy. They had fallen right into the trap of the enemy by believing lies. Believing lies that even though even though ruins may have come, that, that they may have had relations with Assyrians and, and that they may not have been a, a full-blooded Jew, but God could rebuild the ruins of their lives. That God could rebuild the ruins of their, their culture. And what the enemy begins to bring into a tactic of, tactic of us is by saying that there's too much that is dividing us that we can never unite. Because if we do not unite with one another, we will never fulfill the great commission of loving God and loving people. I can tell you, if you are not loving people, you are not loving God. If you look at people that are made in the image of God and all you look at is, and you see them as a desecration and an offense to you, I can promise you, you, you are not looking at them at the image of God. You are looking at them in a falsality. And as you look at them in a falsality, you are saying that the very image of God is, is desecrated, is wrong, is inferior. And if you're saying that about the image of God, guess what? You're not loving God. People become a, a tangible face mark of the, the face of God to us. And so what happens is disunity. This, this culture, the Jewish people and the Assyrians and the Samaritans, they all live dis, the, disunity. They, they live disunited from one another. But Jesus was here, where everybody else would have told him you shouldn't be there. Jesus, quote unquote, crossed the tracks. And what did he do? He engaged with the Samaritan woman. He engaged with the very one that culture and growing up he would have heard that he should have hated. But Jesus was now breaking across every barrier because he recognized that there was more that they had in common than what divided them. There was a God and being created and made in the image of God that united them and that they were willing to walk in and he was willing to take the risk to do it. And so we sit here and, and, and I think a lot of us, we grow in hostility because we judge others by from the masses rather than judging them from the individual. 
We could have easily discounted this woman. Jesus could have easily been like, that's a Samaritan woman. We, we have nothing to do with her. Threw her away just by the masses. But he decided to engage her as an individual, which is what ultimately leads to healing and unity. What, I, what we've been talking about as a youth group is we've been talking about, about the division that is within our nation and in our society and in our races and our, and our political beliefs. But here's the thing. A lot of us, it's become so easy, so easy to say, look at those Democrats. Look at those Republicans. Look at that ethnicity. Look at that ethnicity and speak with such hostility and such hate. But here's, what, here's the remedy for that. Jesus shows us what the remedy is, engagement. It becomes so hard when you, when you begin to, to speak bad about a Democrat or speak bad about, about, about a Republican when one of them are your friends. One of the greatest gifts in my life is, is I grew up when some of my closest friends were that of not the ethnicity that I have. So when I hear hatred towards Hispanics or I hear hatred towards, towards, uh, towards African-Americans, I'm not he hearing hatred towards a group of people. What I'm hearing is hatred towards and an attack on, on Letitia and Ashley or, or an attack on, on Julian or an attack on, on Rachel. And if we never engaged with one another, if we've never been able to step into one another's sphere of influences and sat with one another and learned each other's name and learned what each other's tick, we would have always lived a lifestyle that just speaks hate because we never had a, a name that was attached to that hate. Our hostility grows from judging other from the masses rather than judging them off the individuality of their character. Jesus shows us that we need to have compassion. Have compassion for those that, that have been deemed an enemy to our society, our culture, our belief system, and our understanding. We have compassion by connecting with them. And we continue on, and, and, and Jesus continues to show compassion to this woman. Because it shows that Jesus has compassion for those who live in sin. Now, I know a lot of us in our holiness and our righteousness and our righteous indignation like to say, oh, Jesus does not love the sinner. But Jesus has compassion for those who live in sin. Guess what? The woman, the Samaritan woman, she was not sinful because of her ethnicity. She was sinful because, and she was not sinful because she was different than Jesus. She wasn't sinful because Jesus was a Jew and, and she was a Samaritan. Jesus didn't address her in that sinful capacity because that was not sin to him. Her ethnicity was not sin. Her difference of what her, her belief system or her thought process or where she lived was not sin. What made her different was not sin. What, made, what was sinful was the actions that she was taking. You see, verse 13 to 18 and 25 to 26, Jesus is identifying that, that he is the living water, that if she drinks from the spring that is him, she will have living water. Go get your husband. Go get your husband so he can hear about this truth, that he can walk in. And she says, I have, I have no husband. He was like, you're right, you have five. And what he did was he called out her sinful actions. He didn't call her a sinner. He didn't look at her and say, you are a filthy sinner. But what he did was that he had compassion for her even though she was living in sin. And see, so many of us, we like to put Jesus, we, are, we like to be the Jesus of this story. 
But I want to challenge you, don't be so quick to make yourself Jesus, but make yourself a little bit more humble tonight and realize that you too are the Samaritan woman. You know, all of us have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. All of us have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. We can't look at this text and, and look at Jesus' word. Jesus wasn't roasting her. Jesus was speaking in truth. Jesus was speaking in compassion. Jesus wasn't here roasting her. We can't, we can't sit here and go look at how Jesus talked to her. Jesus really gave it to her. Because in reality, there's always been a moment where we've been the Samaritan woman. Where Jesus had to address us and connect, uh, connect to us in the midst of our sin. And this is what he does. Jesus does not call out her marital status to, to shame her and, and to expose her in, in her huge sinfulness and to make her feel unworthy to talk to the one that she's talking to. Jesus exposes it because she's living in sin. Jesus calls out her marital status because she's unmarried, yet she is sexually married to five men. But notice something. His rebuke is done in compassion. And it is not in an attempt to desecrate her character. But he is working to expose her sinful action. Jesus doesn't bring this up to desecrate her. Jesus doesn't do this to bring her shame and even more mockery. She's gone through it. This woman has already been desecrated by her character for the actions that she's gone through. At the core of us, we all know when we sin. You may be an unbeliever and, and go, I don't know, I don't believe, but no, at the end of the day, the word of God tells us that is the word of the, the law of the Lord is written on the tablets of our heart. We know when we walk in sin. And unfortunately, sinful humanity and, and our human nature allows us to uh, exalt ourselves and create pride within ourselves so that when we see other people in sin, we begin to point fingers and, and gossip and, and begin to desecrate their character. And guess what it does? It only tears her down even more. I can only imagine what this woman has already felt. She's had, she's had five heartbreaks. She's had five at least one-time encounters with people that were not her husband. I bet you she's walked away from those experiences with a little bit of shame and a little bit of guilt. And then compound on, on culture and the outcasts and the, the privileged and, the, and the, the pious and the pompous begin to shame her. But Jesus wasn't there to desecrate for her, desecrate her character. He wasn't there to desecrate her. He was there to love her. He was there to connect with her. He was there to see her, see her for who she is, made in the image of God, and not see her for what she's done. This is a challenge to us because in our dealing with others, we must be people of compassion. And we must be people that are telling and yielding the truth in love. I'm big on, one of the things I'm learning in my life is, is tone. One of the things I'm learning in my life is, is tone. That you can say one thing and you put, a, you put a, a negative or angry tone to it and it comes off as a completely different thing. Telling the truth and, and yielding the truth to people, yielding the truth of sinfulness is not wrong. But it's, it's based in the heart and the tone that is accompanied to it. What Jesus does is he shows us that he is compassionate and that he is loving her 
And he loves her so much that he's not willing to let her live in her sin. What he's not doing is, is li- he's not lying to her and telling her that her actions are acceptable. And that's not what is leading her to a moment of repentance. And not what is leading her to a moment of recognizing the, the Messiah and the messianic um, fulfillment that is before her. But it is the loving kindness of Jesus, a man that is seeing her with love in his eyes. A man that is seeing her not for what she is on the outside, but what she can be, what she is created to be, and the providence and the provision that God had led her to this moment. He's seeing her in God's perspective. He's not seeing her in man's perspective. And what he is doing is that she is not drawn to repentance by a lie, but she's drawn to repentance by loving kindness. Jesus is yielding that truth in love. Jesus is yielding the truth of her lifestyle and love. He loves her too much to keep her there. But he also loves her too much to, to push her even more into the pit of, of shame and despair. Jesus is speaking the truth, but he does it in a way that is hopeful. If you are speaking and you are, and you are talking about something or someone or a circumstance and it does not lead to hope, I promise you and I can challenge you that you are not speaking the language of God. You're not speaking the words of God. You are speaking the words of the flesh. Romans 2.4 reminds us that it is God's loving kindness. It is God's loving kindness that leads us to repentance. It's not God's hate. It is not God's wrath and judgment that leads us to repentance. It is one of those methods that awaken our hearts to his holiness and his, 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 his vastness and his godness. But what leads us and keeps us, what leads us and keeps us in the heart of God and in the embrace of Jesus is repentance, is his loving kindness. It's his love, it's his compassion. It's his engagement with the outcasts of all the outcasts. It is his compassion to those that have been deemed an enemy. And it is Jesus's, it is Jesus's love, and it is Jesus's compassion that um, that leads us to understanding and recognizing that He is not engaging with us and desecrating our character based off of the sin, but He has compassion for us that He's even willing to get into our mess, and He's willing to do it not with haughtiness, not with arrogance. If anybody could be arrogant and humble, it's Jesus, and arrogant and and haughty about sin, it's Jesus. But he still decides to meet with us in our love and our grace. And I want to ask you tonight, do you need to grow in compassion? I already heard it. Yes. I hear you in your living room. I hear you wherever you are in your car. Yes. You need to gain and grow in compassion. And here's what I'm glad about. I, I, th- tonight I'm very glad about this, that we get to gather online, because I do recognize that in this season, this message is not just for teenagers. But maybe there's some adults that need to, to obey the truths of this message. A lot of us in our, in our culture right now, we get so caught up in what divides us, but we, rec- but we need to recognize that we are only being caught up in the tactics and the schemes of men. They will never fulfill God's commission and commandment when we are divided. As Nehemiah was building, rebuilding the walls of Jerusalem, Jesus is saying to go forth and, 
and to all the nations, baptizing in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, making disciples so that we can rebuild the kingdom of God in a, in a world and in an earth that has fallen short of his standard. And how do we do it? We do it by fulfilling the great commandment, which is to love God and to love people. And we can't do that when we are so focused and so divisive all the time. Not acting in love, but in hate. But I want to challenge you and show you that Jesus is the perfect example of connecting with people in compassion. He was a man. He was a man and he, he, he was a man and he was tired and he had nothing to do, he, in, in the context, he had nothing to do with this woman. She had never had anything to do with him. He was a Jew, she was a Samaritan. But he didn't allow what made him different and what made them different to keep him from uniting with one another in what would eventually be their commonality is, is salvation and eternity and an eternal in love of God, a perfect love. So I want to take a moment and ask the Lord to give us compassion. Maybe convict our hearts a little bit. Maybe convict our minds a little bit. To give us a heart of compassion. That we may walk as people and the example of Jesus to all the world. Not just to our, our neighbor that looks like us and talks like us, but everybody. So let's just take a minute and connect with Jesus. God, we just thank you. Jesus, I thank you. That even, you, even though you were tired, God, even though you were worn out, even though you were under the weight and you were under the criticism of everything going on, God, you still chose to connect. You still chose to connect and connect with compassion. When it didn't look like you, when it didn't sound like you, when it didn't talk like you, when it didn't think like you, when it didn't believe like you, God, you still connected with compassion and God I'm thankful that in that connection of compassion that salvation comes it is an opportunity for salvation and Holy Spirit I pray that you would prick our hearts that you would challenge us to operate in compassion not operate in hate God hate is evil hate is not of you and God I just pray that you would rid us of stuff that's not of you the beliefs and the mentalities and the, the strongholds in our hearts that are that are not of you, that she would break it down. And God, we would walk as people of compassion. Jesus, even though we are tired and worn out as a society and we are worn out and tired as a people, Holy Spirit, don't let us miss a moment of, of compassion. Don't let us miss a moment of presenting the gospel of Jesus Christ other people. Let us not be discouraged by the things that are said around us. Let us not be discouraged by the, the Tobiases of our, our culture and our society that are working to discourage us. But Lord, let us be so focused on rebuilding the kingdom, rebuilding the wall of Jerusalem in, in the spiritual realm, Lord, that we are not discouraged, but Lord, we look. And as those people, as the Tobiases, Lord, as the wall finally got rebuilt in their hearts, the, uh, your word says that they were disheartened because they knew it was God. God, in their hearts, they were disheartened because every effort that they had to, to disunite God and, and to cause disunity and try to, to stop the rebuilding of your wall. And, and God, at the end of it all, 
those that had tried to divide were disheartened in their heart because they knew that it was God that rebuilt the wall. And God, we pray for that, Lord. We pray that the enemy of our soul would walk away from this season of life disheartened because it was God who rebuilt the kingdom of God and unified race and gender and sexuality and, and preferences and, and political systems and political beliefs unto the lordship and the dominion of you. God, you are worthy of our praise today. Prick our hearts, give us sensitivity. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. Thank you so much for joining us tonight. Thank you for joining us because I'm walking away encouraged. I'm walking away challenged. I'm walking away changed. And if you are too, let us know. Let us know. We want to know if you've been changed and, and challenged. And, and if this was a message that changed you, share it on Facebook. Share it on Instagram. Like it. Uh, follow it. The, the, there's no easier way right now than to spread the gospel of Jesus Christ than all it is is a click of a button. And so I want to encourage you, spread it, spread it, like it, share it, um, subscribe. Let the gospel of Jesus Christ grow, go out. Let the algorithms of, of social media be filled with the glory of God. And so I just want to thank you for joining us. Next week, we will be back in person. We will back, be back in this room for encounter service at 640. Make sure you're coming. Invite your friends. We want to join together. We want to unite in one room. And we want to be able to join with one another. And I'm so excited to see your face and be able to interact with you. I'm so glad we got to join back online and connect with, with all of our online viewers and those that have been connecting with us online, even from a distance, from other states, from other denominations, from other churches. We've been able to connect with people all over because of this online platform. So we are so excited to connect with you tonight and we're so excited to connect with you in person. So don't forget to go like and um, follow us on Instagram and Facebook and YouTube. Don't forget to go check out our podcast and to keep up to date on all things Encounter. We are so thankful for you. We want to invite you. This Sunday is Back to Church Sunday at Livonia Church of God. We have two services, 9 a.m. and 11 a.m. Two, two chances to join us, to bring someone to come back to church. What better time be, to come back now because we recognize that we are stronger together. If anything we've learned in the past six months is that we can't do this alone. We are stronger. We are stronger together. And I want to encourage you, be here. We love you and we're so thankful for you. Thank you for joining us tonight.